Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric. Good morning, Rachel. We're not together on this show. I'm sad. I know. I I like the in-person recordings. I think we have a lot more fun. We got to share a mic last time. You know, all the good things. That was great. (laughs) Hopefully neither one of us gets COVID or had it at the time, I guess. Yeah. Knock on wood. So far, so good. So far, so good. Who do we have today on the show? Oh, I'm excited. So today we've got John Shire. He's a senior security advisor at Sophos. And he's a researcher, and he brought all kinds of goodies on terms of research reports, Sophos ransomware report, active adversary playbook, so many great things that we're going to dive into do, into today. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much, Rachel. I'm really excited to be on. John, ah. I spent a good bit of time comparing to like the Verizon data breach reports, and we talked in prep a little bit about the IDC survey they did last summer or last in 21. Um, and, and the data is all over the place. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think your data, assuming the sample is accurate and representation of the globe, I think your data is scary as hell, but yeah. outstanding. Yes. Yeah. With 5,600 respondents, 31 countries, you know, 100 to 5,000 employees. So we, we had a pretty wow. broad sampling base. So I think it's fairly representative of you know, what's out there. But it is scary. For instance, a little prelude, Rachel. I worked at an education organization right now, ransomware would be what I dream about at night, not in a positive (laughs) manner. I don't know. What about healthcare? I mean, healthcare is better. And I'm kind of interested in this too. I mean, you've you've been, you've been talking so many, so many great stats in the report, John, I don't even know where to start. Um, But ransomware is like one of my favorite, favorite topics in the whole world. Um, And I saw that one of the things that you guys found, uh, I think it was an article, maybe... Was it uh, Tech Radar? No, maybe not. Uh, but it was like 94% of healthcare attacks uh, in 2022, and then 66% uh, the year before. And then 61% of healthcare pay, and uh, one org only got 2% of their data back after paying that ransomware. Like, so pay, don't pay. I mean, you know, what, what do you guys see in there with all of this swirling about? I mean, there, there, there doesn't seem to be a good answer, or do you have one? Well, as far as paying the ransom goes, we always want to say, don't pay the ransom. You're, you're directly funding criminals, right? But right. we've, and, and at the beginning, when ransomware first came out, you know, it was it was kind of easy to say because it was the right thing to say. But then as the situation evolved and as ransomware shifted from hitting individuals and just individual computers within organizations to hitting, you know, massively within organizations... It was a little bit tougher to give that advice because you don't know how paying that ransom or not will affect or impact right. that business. It could mean you have to lay off employees. It could mean you could go, you know, you close your business. So, you know, still on the still on the side of if you can help it, don't pay right. the ransom. Uh, but again, the situations will always vary. And if you look at the year-on-year comparisons of of payment, and I think. A lot of surveys agree with ours, which ours, you know, there was a 5x increase almost over last year in terms of payment. 
and some some have decreased in some surveys. But um, I think what we're seeing is the the ransomware criminals are they're you know they've been testing the waters for years, right? Trying to figure yes. out what can they get away with, and right. they just keep upping the ransoms, and and eventually we'll probably see some sort of you know, flatline and go, okay, this is this is what right. the the market will bear, and they'll kind of sit there, but. This kind of thing is uh, is still a, a nascent industry, if you'll <laughs> pardon crazy. me using that term. Yeah. And why do you think it would flatline? Well, I think because there's there, – well, based on previous evidence. So I'll get, the, back in the old screen locker days, right, where you, you'd have these – you know, the police lockers where your screen would lock up and they'd say, oh, we've seen some, you know, copyrighted materials or uh, child sexu- sexual abuse material or something, you know, pornography, just general pornography on a computer. And, and they would have like the FBI logo or if you're in the uh, in the UK, it would have the, um, the UK e-crimes unit or in Canada, the RCMP, right? And they'd say, well – to unlock your computer, you have to pay a fine of X dollars. And we saw $100, then we saw $200, then we saw $300, and so on and so forth. And it went as high, I saw, of like $800. And then it came back down to like 300 because they were targeting individuals. And yeah. that seemed to be what the market would bear at that point for that particular type of uh, so Almost like the airlines. We'll, we'll try to get as much as we can, but we want to fill every seat. So we're going to- Exactly. It's an economic model, essentially. Right. And so I think you're going to see that within the ransomware ecosystem as well. And it'll actually stratify within industries and it'll stratify within the scope of the size of the of the, the, the victim. Right. So obviously bigger so companies. finance may pay more than education. Well, and enterprise will pay more than small business. Right. And we, we've right. even yeah. seen okay. the ransomware criminal operators diversify. So we've got things like the old Dharma ransomware, uh, the stop. There's a couple other ones that were just basically going after the small fries, right? They were, and they were only charging small sums. And th- that, right. that was what that market could bear. Yet you've got the lock bits and the revels and the riots and some of the, you know, the other big guys that we know about, some of them are still around, some of them are extinct, would charge in the millions, right? I've, I can't remember what the top one is, but you know, we've seen tens of millions of dollars. So yeah. it really depends on who you're going after and uh, you're going to price yourself accordingly. We've, even, we've, we've seen specifically some ransomware actors because they've got such a, a, a presence on your network. They, they're, they're so deep inside your network. They've seen all your files. They've read your financial reports. They know exactly what you can pay. And some of them will actually tailor the amount that they're going to ask for based on your financial results. And when you go back and say, well, I can't pay that, they've actually come, come back and said, well, no, we know exactly how much you made last year. So you're going to pay us the $3 million. It'd be great if they'd have a consulting service, Rachel, where they could yeah. also advise you on how to improve your profitability or your, your <laughs> revenue or something, right? Exactly. Hey, we've seen all of your data and we think if you made this one move strategically, you would double the size of your business in the next three years. I think you're so, onto so, something, Eric. Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe it's too hard. That's <laughs> the, the hard phase. part of it's business. the next phase of ransomware. Yeah. Well, so, John, what about insurance? I mean, I've always oh, thought yeah. we've read, you know, at some point insurance, we know insurance is getting more uh, difficult, right? I, I would think that they would, that, that insurance, the policy premium, not the premium, the policy cap would sometimes instruct in fact, we, we know yeah. it has in some cases right. how much somebody will pay. Are you mm-hmm. getting any data? Are you, did you see anything on that? 
So within this specific report, we didn't uh, ask that specific a question. We, we did talk a little bit about, and, and sort of the survey, which the report came out of. Um, we asked some specific questions around whether you had cyber insurance, uh, a pol- you know, a policy, some coverage. Uh, and in the case of an attack, uh, whether the uh, cyber insurance policy paid out for any or all costs. And so we, we got a bit of a view there. And in short, you know, cyber having a cyber insurance coverage, having a cyber insurance policy does help. It, right. it, it does pay out in, in the vast majority of cases. But I think what we saw in the last two years was that the insurance industry was not prepared for the onslaught of ransomware when they got into this market. There are no actuarial tables that can predict right. who will be a victim. Our industry, you know, the, this whole tech thing is too new from a, an insurance perspective. And if you think about it in terms of uh, you know, traditional industries, right, if let's say you're recovering uh Buildings, you know, against physical damage, fire, for example, and if two thirds of your customers are going to have a claim, and each claim is going to cost you a million dollars every time, your premiums are probably going to reflect that reality. And right. this is what we're seeing right or now. Or you within. exit the business, right? You could, and a lot of them have indeed exited the business. A lot of them are just saying we're not touching this anymore. And the ones that are, yeah. we're seeing a hardening of that market, right? So policies mm-hmm. have either doubled or tripled to renew or 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 secure. The qualification standards for policy are much higher. The coverage is smaller, and sometimes there's carve-outs for ransomware. So that that, that really has impacted that uh, side of the business a lot. Yeah, it seems like a lose-lose if you're trying to, like, cyber insurance for ransomware. I mean, how can you make a profit if you're the insurance company? (laughs) Well, your premiums have to be ridiculous. Right, exactly. And then, you know, what kind of business model is that if people can't afford your service? But I think there's an opportunity here, right? If you th- if you look at, at, at the insurance business, right, they, they're in the business of making money and also right. covering you in, in case of, of you know some sort of unforeseen circumstance. But I think the, the incentives have started to align. So now that we are in this position where we need to have better security in order to qualify for a cyber security uh, cyber insurance policy, it's elevating the security posture of a lot of organizations to a point where. They have better cybersecurity, and it it makes you more resilient, and therefore less of a victim. Therefore, right, the cyber right. insurance companies are less are going to have to pay out less. So I think these two incentives of of you know covering you for something, but also making sure that you've got some uh, some incentive and some skin in the game to be less of a target. I think right. it, it goes well together. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I think that may make the the people who don't have insurance or have insurance that isn't as as um, demanding from a requirements perspective, more likely to be a target, right? They're easier. They don't Possibly. have the same level of defenses. Possibly, which yeah, could, absolutely. Which could go back to that that payout rate again, that requested you know ransomware payment rate. But you were saying that, I, I think according to your report, in 2021, 46% of organizations that had data encrypted in a ransomware attack paid the ransom. Yeah. Actually, That's a lot lower than the, go ahead. No, I was going to say that that's that's accurate, and it, it it that number itself will fluctuate, right? So I think when you were talking about the IDC right. report earlier, yeah. um, there was some divergence in those numbers, and we've seen some. Yeah, it was eighty. Well, it said thirteen percent. Only thirteen percent of organizations reported experiencing a ransomware attack breach and not paying a ransom. I'll flip that on its end for our listeners. Eighty-seven percent experienced an attack or breach and paid the ransom is what they're insinuating which is a lot higher, which is more what I've seen in the, in the industry. Like most people pay it 
from what I'm seeing. A, a lot of people do. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we discussed this, uh, prior to the, to the recording that, you know, there, there's some sampling bias with all of these surveys, right? Right. Uh, I, I could happen to, to sample the, you know, if I'm sampling a hundred companies, maybe I just sampled the hundred companies that got hit by ransomware versus right. the ones that didn't. Right. So right. stuff like that does happen. Uh, but I think that there is definitely a, there, there's some variance there within uh, paying the ransom. But I, what I think is, and what we're not, seeing in the data sometimes is, you know, uh, the way in which ransomware criminals are, uh, are getting around some of our collective defenses. And I want to, and I know we'll right. get to that a little bit later, but let me dive a little bit deeper in that 46% of paid ransom. Um, yeah. Cause 46 all, or 87, it's a horrible number. It's still, a, it's still a big, there's still anything bigger than right. zero is, is too big a number, right? right? You're still failing, right? I mean, that's where you want to have 2% right. or paying. We're still right. failing at either number. Right. So, of of all the organizations that got hit, um, nine, so almost 100, 99% of organizations got some data back, right? right. And backups were the number one method. So that, right. three quarters of the, the people got hit, backups, that's the way to go, right? And I think most people would probably agree that that, that is the way Just to go. Just to translate, they had legitimate backups in their business, on-site, off-site, that they were able to restore from, that the ransomware was not able to encrypt and and prevent them from using. Correct. And I will circle back to that point because I think there's a couple little nuggets in there that we need to pull out that are important for, for your listeners. Um, now, in those those ones that paid, only 4% got all their data back. Wow. Right? So paying the ransom doesn't guarantee that you're going to get, and I believe the figure is 61% got some data, sorry, of, of those that paid, only 61% got some data back, right? So there's there's missing data somewhere, right? And wow. in a quarter of those organizations, we're throwing so many numbers around, but in a quarter of those organizations that were able to restore from backups, a quarter also paid the ransom. So you're seeing organizations that are, paying the ransom, as well as using other means to restore, in this case, backups. And why is that? Well, yeah. it could be, it could be, there's a, there's a couple reasons. Uh, well, probably more than a couple, but uh, incomplete backups, right? So you go and you right. restore your backups and you're missing some files, right? So now you go and pay the criminals. Um, you could, we've seen this, I think all too often now, uh, is the prevention of stolen data from being published on leak sites, right? Ah, it's it's hush yes. money. So at right. this point, maybe you're saying, well, okay, we've, we've got the data on backup, but we don't want to be publicly outed on these sites. And so we're just going to pay it as hush money. Um, and then you've got, you know, some, uh, I, I listened to the congressional and Senate testimony of the Colonial Pipeline CEO. And uh, he, in, that, in their case, they said they just wanted to use every means necessary to get the data back. Sure. That included just grabbing the key and just in case, right? Because you, right. you you're might just doing know. whatever you can to get up and running. Again. Yeah. 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 So what uh, now circling back to what you're saying a little earlier, you know, what, what I don't think gets discussed enough when talking about paying the ransom is that, you know, you don't know or you don't always know what the criminals took or left behind. Right. Are there backdoors, beacons, web shells that are still on your network? Um, did they steal some passwords that they can use later on to log mm -hmm. on to your VPN and get back in? Right. Without any kind of chicanery at that point. There's no exploits. There's nothing else, right? Uh, you still need to do all the recovery work regardless of whether right. you pay or not, because you can't trust a system that's been touched by an attacker. And no. so to the to the you know the 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 um, topic of backups, you know the three to one principle, right? Three copies of your data, at least two of them on different media, and one of them uh, offline, preferably offsite. Yeah. 
but you have to test them, right? Back to right. why would you potentially pay? Because you've got an incomplete backup or you've got a corrupted backup. Uh, you want to test them and you want to test them on a schedule that is commensurate with how much data loss you can you can uh, uh, stand, right? So if, if right. you can only lose one day's worth of data, maybe you want to test your backups at, you know, on some sort of random basis at least yeah. once every couple of days, right? Yeah. Um, and so if you've got reliable backups, then we're back to like, why pay the ransom at that point? Interesting. Because a backup isn't much use if you can't recover from it. Correct. Right. We learned that years ago, Rachel. Before <laughs> ransomware even. I mean, just, you know, if you have a system, a drive fail or an array go offline and you can't recover, you've got a real data loss, data, you know, data unavailability problem. You've got to and, and I've, I've found over my, my 20, what is it, five-year career at this point, that is one of the, the, the uh, muscles that most businesses don't exercise on a regularly right. scheduled basis, right? Okay, let's 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 so run just, this I, scenario like we had a data loss. You know, we're, we're talking about backups, right? And I've got I'm I'm holding up a box to uh, Rachel and, and Eric here. Of there's a couple hard drives in here because I've got one of my RAID drives failed on my server. It's been, well, admittedly, a couple months, but. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I still haven't gotten around to rebuilding the RAID yeah. array and installing these drives. It happens, right? This is the yeah. kind of stuff that organizations go through. So. I think that's where you're kind of segueing to is, this, you know, these things can happen and uh, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily being negligent when you're not testing these things. It means other priorities sometimes yeah. get in the way. Yeah, yeah. but they're you costly. Know, the other thing too, though, um, it's the geopolitical, right? Ransomware is geopolitical uh, incidents. I think there was an article where the, was the CEO of the UK National Cybersecurity Center said that uh, it's the most immediate danger Right to uh, to the UK, which I think is really interesting because I don't. Are people really talking about ransomware as a geopolitical attack vector? I don't think so. I think there's been, uh, if you well, colonial if, pipeline was probably an example. Yeah. So if, if we st yeah. if we look at was that on very purpose? Recent. I don't think they knew what they got, right? Sorry, I, see, I yeah, no, I, 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 it's a good point you bring up, Rachel, because I think that that was, from what we know, it seems to be that was a dark side affiliate, which, and and if you want to talk about, you know, how do these people get hit, targeting is random for the right. most part, right? So I think one of these affiliates got into the Colonial Pipeline network, did what they had, they did, and you saw a lot of backpedaling from the dark side HQ right. later on saying, hey, whoa, whoa, no, you know, we didn't mean to hit you, right? <laughs> so back to your question about geopolitical, right? I think that because there is a lot of this does come from, you know, CIS countries, uh, countries that have been, uh, I guess, traditionally antagonistic to Western powers, There, there is that right. kind of a geopolitical thing in there. Can they absolutely hit critical infrastructure? Yes. Um, and I think that the, 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 Russia's war in Ukraine right now has exacerbated some of these feelings around geopolitics uh, because we are seeing some evidence that, you know, maybe the gloves are off when it comes to the right. Russian government's uh, incentives for punishing <laughs> their cyber criminals in-house, right? Um, <laughs> so is, is there some geopolitical angle that can be made? Possibly. Uh, but right. I, I, as far as I'm concerned and, and from what I've seen, it is a financial enterprise, right. uh, you know, more or less, and and anything else that you get out of it is is you know just uh, is gravy, I guess. Interesting, yeah. That's that's kind of how I was thinking about it as well. Because um, yeah, I mean, you're really if it's geopolitical, they just want disruption, not necessarily to get you know cash on the back end, you know, cash me outside kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So 
Now, John, you talk about in the report, your team talks about the average cost to recover from the most recent ransomware attack in 21 was $1.4 million. Wow. Wow. Correct. That's a lot of backup disk tape. That's a lot of money. Want to use. That's a it lot is. of time to practice and, and drill and ensure you can recover. But, but there's some good news. Don't that. link the two. Yeah. What's the yeah, good news? So, so there's some good news in that. And then I'll touch on that as well. Uh, is If we look at the three last three reporting periods for this, we've seen the cost to remediate um, in our 2020 report went from uh, $760,000 uh, to 1.85 million, right? So that's not good news so far, but go on. No, but (laughs) in this year's report, it went down to 1.4 million, right? So now we're seeing actually a decrease in the cost to remediate, which I think, and, and I don't, I said it was good news. Maybe it's not, maybe it's like one of these (laughs) backhanded compliments, right? Is we've gotten better at recovery. I think is, is uh, what's going on in a lot of this, uh, in, in these numbers, right? Is, is we've, we've gotten, and the reason we've gotten good at recovery is because we've gotten hit so much, right? Is we've gotten, we have a lot of practice. And so now when you have uh, a ransomware incident and you call your cyber insurance provider or whomever you call first, you know, there's, there's a playbook, right? Right, the ransomware right. guys have playbooks, so do the cyber insurance people and the, the incident response people, right? And they're like, okay, call Jeff and Sally, and uh, you know they're, they're going to come over, and you do everything they say in exactly the, the same order. And right. while you're doing that, do these 10 things right now, right? And so that just starts to limit the scope of the attacks. It starts to limit the damage, and it, it helps you get, get you back on your feet a lot quicker. Uh, and then there's also some bundle incentives sometimes in terms of uh, some of the products that they, they bring in with them that then elevate your cybersecurity, which is a net positive. But I think that 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 cost to remediate has gone down in part, unfortunately, because we've gotten good at it. Well, that is good news. Though. I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. That's I, mean, a good answer. I, I think that's good news, right? If, if, if we don't have as many cities burning down anymore because we're, well, building them differently, we're, we're more aware, but we're good at right. putting fires out. We're better than right. we used to be. That's a good, yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, and that that back to you know what we were talking about earlier about paying the ransom uh, is that you know if, if we're better recovery and we're better at maybe being less of a target because of some of the technology we're putting in place and we're testing our backups and then we're taking the backups we're testing the backups and then now you start to get it's a li- it becomes a little bit easier to to give that don't pay the ransom advice because we do have some tried and true methods to uh, to protect you as well as get you out of trouble if you do get into trouble. Right. It's not going to cover everybody. And again, it's, it's, it's not a blanket statement. It's, but I think we're getting closer to that reality of being able to say, okay, we've got, some, we've got some good playbooks here around how to deal with this stuff, both from a prevention and detection and remediation side. So let's use those. And for the outliers and everybody else, um, you know, we'll do what we can to help protect you. Uh, and if you have to pay, you have to pay. Yeah, agreed. So- let, me, let me, oh, go ahead, Rachel. No, I don't. I don't. I, I might be distracting because I'm really interested in this whole IABs thing too. I wanted to dive into that, but we can get to that. Okay. <laughs> so I, I had a couple questions around some of the data that came out of this. Fascinating and and almost reading in some ways with like the Verizon data breach report from might have been 18 or 19 now. Um, but one of the things we saw, one of the things you saw, I should say, is 47 percent of attacks started with an exploited vulnerability, right? That means a system that wasn't patched, a known, actually, I guess it may not have been a known vulnerability. It was a right. vulnerability though. That's how they, that's how they get in. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So now you're talking about the active adversary playbook, just so the listeners understand that we're, yes, <laughs> we're working off two really different reports. Actually, let, let, me, let me sell for you for a second. So you have an active adversary playbook that's really good on data. Um, you can get it at Sophos.com up there. Just search for it or Google. But it was interesting to me that 47% start with the, the exploited vulnerability and then 82% used RDP for lateral movement. Which is crazy to me. Like, lock it down. Yeah. So I, I've I got know some, it's hard. I've got some more good news for you. You'll like this. So, okay, give it to us. Yeah. So forty-seven percent exploited vulnerability. Uh, yeah, we we and we saw a few of them last year, right? So this the the data reporting period was a calendar year twenty twenty-one. And just so for your listeners, where this data came from is I analyzed every single one of our incident response investigations over that period, and I just tried to pull out as much data as possible and you know see what falls out, right? And and so things like uh, root causes, uh, types of attacks, root causes, dwell time, uh, initial access, all those kinds of things. You know, I look at the MITRE framework and try to map that as well a little bit. But um, yeah, forty-seven percent. So you know, we saw things like proxy log on and proxy shell, log for J, all yeah. fell into that period. Um, the Proxy shell and proxy logon had a fairly uh, substantial showing within the the report. And those uh, are exchange server vulnerabilities, I think, right? Yes. So they're they are both uh, exchange server vulnerabilities. Uh, they're chains of vulnerabilities. So, like in the proxy shell example, uh, I believe it's three vulnerabilities that are chained together to create the proxy shell attack itself. Um, and, and so that you know th- that vulnerability or that set of vulnerabilities were, were abused to, uh, to get into organizations. Now, yeah, some of them were from 2021 uh, within the reporting period, but I, I saw data that I think some of the oldest ones were like from 2012, 2013, wow. where some of these vulnerabilities were being, uh, or at least were present on systems that had been uh, attacked. Whether or not that vulnerability was used sometimes can be a little hard to tease out because uh, there was one server uh, that was, I think it had something like uh, 20 some odd vulnerabilities on it that just that dated back that far, right? So they just hadn't patched it in forever. And so who knows which one they used to get in, right? And, and that, can be, that can be tough because uh, in concert with the 47% where we know that that's what happened, there's 36% where we just don't know what the root cause is. We have wow. no idea. And, and for some reason or another, right? Either the the attackers, they cleaned up after themselves. The systems were wiped before we got there. The logs rolled over, right? There's all sorts of reasons for that. So, so the, the unknown is is still a big part of this as well. So then coming out of that, though, the attacker gets in. Yep. The average dwell time is the piece that really scared me. 34 days on average. And, and you break it down by company size, somewhat by industry. You know, you're 52 days if you're in a one to 100 person company, right? Mm-hmm. SMB. Yep law firms, you know, whatever. It could be any any small company. And it's 19 days on average on 5,000 plus employee companies, which should have an enterprise IT shop. Right. Right. They should have more capability, more, uh, more awareness and more ability. And then when you look at the types of organizations, healthcare is eight and a half days. Education is 34, right on the average. Yeah. Um, that is crazy to me. Like the adversary is in your building. Let's go to a physical world. Somebody breached your physical security, right? They went through the fences. They went through the turnstiles, came in the window, whatever. And they hung out, you know, they went to the cafeteria for, uh, 
for, for lunch and dinner and to eat. They, they went to the gym to work out, shower, do what they needed to do. 34 days worth of time there just going through your files. Correct. Yeah. So that, that all-time statistic them. is uh, it's a bit shocking. And so uh, the uh, the dwell time for uh, 2021, as you say, uh, you know, was was fairly high. Um, the problem with a lot of this is there is some uh, there there's I guess there's some externalities there with respect to and in, in, you know IABs. But we'll get there in a second, Rachel. Um, but <laughs> just a they, second, Rachel. Yeah, there's some variability there because of the presence of IABs, and so um, if we if we look at ransomware specifically within the dwell time statistic, we find that 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 dwell time statistic actually is is lower. So ransomware crews actually get in and get out a lot faster, versus the just generic kind of like you were breached uh, type of attack where we couldn't determine there wasn't an end goal that was obvious to us. Uh, it could have been ransomware, and we just happened to you know get called into the middle of these invest of, of the attack, and then you know we were able to neutralize it and, and evict the uh, the attackers and you know get the network back in back into shape. But um, th- those were a lot longer, and I think that when you look at the the way the ransomware crews operate, uh, they want to get in and get out for the most part as quickly as possible. Extra, you know, it's ROI, right? If I can just do do this in, in three days and get the maximum payment, then great. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the IABs, where you've got maybe inventory sitting on the shelf, uh, when you've got smaller companies, we see the dwell times are bigger. Maybe the ROI from a smaller company isn't as. And to your point, uh, Eric, of you know, enterprise. Uh, organizations have IT shops, right? So they're probably able to detect this stuff a lot faster. So if you, if if an IAB gets into an organization that is, uh, you know, let's say three thousand people, they can resell that quickly because right. to to a ransomware operator because the ROI of of encrypting those guys will be higher, but they also have to act faster because the, right. the detection rate is probably going to be a lot faster as well, right. a lot quicker. Whereas if you look at smaller organizations or under-resourced sectors, such as education, where we know they struggle, we, they struggle with budgets and budgets translates to, they struggle with having the proper technologies and the pro, and the, the right amount of, the right people and the right amount of people. I mean, these folks are working so hard. I've talked to them. They, they work mm-hmm. you know tirelessly to protect the their constituents, the students, the staff. Right. right, but they just don't have these resources to do that, and so dwell time because they don't have the resources to be able to go and hunt and, and use EDR and XDR, they might not be able to find these uh, these adversaries hiding in in the network. Um, now, th- I said I promise you some good news, right? So I just want to go back to that eighty two percent statistic about RDP, which is what we did see is while there was a a lot of RDP get used internally for lateral movement. We saw a uh, a fairly dramatic drop in RDP usage from the outside. So I think we've gotten the message that RDP on internet equals bad. And so a lot of companies are starting to, to heed that message and moving the RDP off of the uh, you know the exposed internet. And so that that's a that's a good piece of news. I think. And RDP can, being remote desktop protocol. Remote desktop protocol, right? So remote desktop software specifically gets used a lot within in uh, within organizations for lateral movement. Um, you know the bad guys will bring their own in if they can. Sometimes you know and they just use commercial off the shelf software, right? They'll use and you know not to pick on any. In particular, so I'll use a whole bunch of them. Any desk, Team Viewer, Screen Connect, Splash Top, right? There's a whole bunch of these that get used 
I should say, abused by ransomware criminals to 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 gain persistence or maintain persistence, remote access, and lateral movement within companies. Okay, so let's go to IABs. Let's define <laughs> it and let Rachel Rachel to you. Well, so I, I, there were some really interesting things that I was uh, kind of as I was reading all of this and. So you've got your initial access brokers, right, which are really fascinating. And in my head, I, I imagine like a Godfather type uh, movie, you know, where all the heads of the crime families meet together. And so you've got your IABs, you've got your ransomware games, you've got your crypto miners. Like they all meet and kind of coordinate, you know, and the IABs are like, hey, guys, you know, here's what we're looking at next quarter. You know, who wants to get in? And everybody just kind of jumps in it together, uh, like simultaneous attacks. And I just think this is a really really fascinating development. Is this something kind of new as they're getting more organized together, John, or is this just kind of something that's just naturally happening over time? Yeah. So, I mean, our crime has been organized for years, right? Right, uh, right. It's, it's no surprise that it's happening in the digital sphere as well. Uh, so, IABs, inter- initial access brokers, uh, are they new? Yeah, you could say they're new. You know, they, they, this sort of job function, uh, and, and I, I do use that term specifically because for some people, this is their job. This is what they yeah. do, um, is, is, is not necessarily new, right? We, we've seen this kind of uh, diversification of duty within the crime ecosystem system for a long time back mm-hmm. in the old days uh, of you know having exploit kits and you had exploit kit brokers and then they would talk to traffic direction services and they would have you know uh, exploit kit or exploit merchants like it, this whole thing you know it, right it, it exists right now IAB specifically so the the job of an IAB is is as the, the name would suggest is to get initial access into a company and and maintain some sort of persistence, right? And so the way that they make their money is by selling that access onto right. another criminal to do something else, and that something else could be ransomware. Uh, the price that they charge for the access uh, is is determined by a bunch of different factors. It could be uh, the type of organization, it could be the size of organization, it could be uh, the the depth to which they've penetrated and the persistence that they have, right? So if they've got, you know, a, a, a domain admin access on a, a corporate network, that's going to be worth more than just simply having log on to, you know, credentials to the VPN, for example. Right. And so that that's what these guys do. And and to your point of, you know, the, the, the criminal cabal, right? So they have their sphere of influence and their area of expertise. That's what they do. And then other criminals come along and buy access from those guys. Rachel, I'm looking at the smile on your face, and I know you don't think this is a good thing, but I, I can see the appreciation for the the whole beauty of of the way this criminal enterprise yes. works. Yes, I just want to see like an org chart or something, right? Because it's as a business, they would have to promote their services, right? To said ransomware gangs or crypto miners, and I just the idea of cooperation is really fascinating to me, right? You know, all boats rise when we work together. So uh, I, I don't know. I see it. it's playing out my head like in a movie, you know? I, I don't know. It's it's really fascinating to me how, how this has evolved. Yeah. And it's it's the kind of thing that I, if we were to maybe take a tip from them is that, you know, we also have to get coordinated and organized, right? right. We have to, or, you know, we have to coordinate our defenses. We have to organize ourselves so that we're, we're battling this stuff together, right? This is why right. things like uh, ISACs, right? Information sharing organizations are, uh, are, are so important. Yes. And, and there's, you know, there's industry specific ISACs, but there's other groups as well that, uh, and, and to, I, I got to give uh, 
CISA, you know, a, a shout out here because I think yes. Jen Easterly and her her organization have been doing phenomenal work of late of giving people uh, timely contextual information that they can actually act upon. You know, back back in the old days, it was like they would DHS would release a bulletin and it was right. for IOCs that were you know 13 years old and not relevant, right? But now we're <laughs> actually getting a little bit more, there's, there's more meat to these bulletins that are coming out. They're more actionable. They're giving advice of what to do. And, uh, and I think that's part of that organization of like, let's get together and fight this together because we're not going to win if we go at it alone. And so let's organize ourselves and go after these guys. Why is it so hard? Why is what so hard? <laughs> to get together and organize. Right. And, uh, well, and really, yeah, I, I mean, the adversary is doing it. Obviously, they're doing it for treasure, right? Monetary gain. Yeah, they've got shared right. incentives In most there, cases. right? Right. Yeah. So right. I think we, Why don't we us, have shared incentives? We really, we should. Well, I think we Actually, do. We I think, do. We just don't yeah. execute well against them. We don't execute. That's right. And uh, it, there's there's lots of reasons, right? There's, there's competitive reasons uh, when it comes to uh, certain industries. You know, maybe they, they don't want to tell their neighbor, you know, their neighboring competitor that they've you know, what they've experienced for fear of, I, I don't know, maybe there's a competitive advantage or disadvantage in that. Um, maybe it's a it's a public relations kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of your listeners know this, but like the AV industry, right? The old old school AV industry, which is, you know, now the new school because we, we've actually moved through the decades and improved and, and, and innovated and done lots of new things. But, you know, we meet every year at a conference and it's all researchers. It's all people that work for, all for competitors and we share our research with each other. And we, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's the, the, the plenary talks, right? There's the ones at the conference, but then there's the beer you're having at the pub afterwards. And right. we're talking about, Hey, we're seeing black cat doing this. What are you guys seeing? What are you guys doing to combat that? Right. And we don't, share trade secrets, but right. we also give each other like a little tip of, Hey, you know, if you want to detect you know, check this out, right. Try that right. technique to detect this stuff. Um, so we, it's happening in pockets here and there, right. Which is, which is good. Uh, I think it's just that uh, there's, I, 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 I wish I had an answer for you, but I, I think that there's just some industries are, are averse to sharing. They're averse right. to being open and uh, whereas others aren't. And, you know, the banking industry is a good example. Uh, they, they, the, the, the financial services ISACs, they do com communicate. I they used to work for job. a bank. Yeah. And this was, you know, well, I've been at Sophos, what, 15 years now as of last month. Um, but, you know, I was at a bank 20 years ago and we, we were doing this. We were, we had a call every week where we talked about the things we were seeing on, on our networks and sharing that information as a heads up for right. all our competitors so that, you know, we would be safer together if we were. Yes. You know, it's like while you're walking down that dark street, <laughs> you better yeah. be, you know, a bunch of you than, than just one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, we're getting together as competitors on the podcast. So there there's sporadic, you know, there are groups. Um, plug for CISA quickly as we're wrapping up, though. CISA.gov slash stop ransomware. Mm -hmm. Good first place to go if you're thinking about it. Hopefully you're looking there before you are actually attacked. I don't know. But Rachel, it is that time again in, in oh. our week. I'm so bummed. John, this is wonderful. Thanks for sharing all these great insights uh, from these research reports. Uh, what a fun job you must have. I can only imagine. It's great. Yeah, thank you. And, and I appreciate you guys having having me on. And it was a great conversation. And yeah, there's, there's unfortunately, there's just no no uh, no end to these reports, right? Because right. The, the bad guys are going to keep attacking us. We're going to keep generating data. And uh, and hopefully what we do, though, is is we look at this, you know, the results, we look at the data, uh, we look at the context of that data, and we try to, you know, 
instrument ourselves to be better next time, right? Yeah. So hopefully that's what people, when they read these reports, they they learn something on how to better protect themselves next year so they don't become part of that. You no, know, the, the negative statistics, they're part of yes. the, the good side. Exactly. And, uh, and then maybe, you know, next time we chat, we'll, we'll talk, we'll have more good news to report. I love that. I that would be that. good. We can't get ahead of the adversaries necessarily, but we can get pretty darn close. That's right. We need to, we need to shrink that window. That's right. That's correct. Thanks for your time, John. Yeah, thank My you pleasure. so much, John. And, and of course, thanks to our listeners again for joining us this week. And, and if you haven't smashed that subscription button, you know what to do. Smash it because you get John right to your inbox in two Tuesdays. So <laughs> I know the date's a little off. Anyway. People will be listening to the show and like, wait a minute, I have them right now, Rachel. What are you talking about? We'll send them out again. All right. Until next time, folks, stay safe. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. 